0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my dilly dilly to... come on.
1: <laughs> I will
0: love it if we beat them.
1: Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach podcast with Gary Kearney.
0: Aguero. Welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Curnine. Welcome back. New series. Our guest today, Kat Khosroyar. Unbelievable episode. The first Iranian-American to carry a FIFA A license. Nominated as the best coach in Asia in 2019. Former Iran Under-19 national team head coach. And if that wasn't enough, she has a master's in chemical engineering and studying global affairs at Rice University. Incredible story here. You're gonna love it. You're gonna be inspired by it. Massive thanks to Johnny Collins, who works with Kat in the Women's Equality in Soccer Foundation. He helped set this up. Johnny, thank you. Please let me know what you think, at Gary Curnine on Instagram, at Gary on Twitter. Before we start, big thank you to everyone who took to social media last week and gave a nice shout out to the interview we did with Carl Wilde, helped support it, retweeted it, massive help in spreading the word of the podcast online. So please continue to do so. We're putting more and more content on YouTube. Please go on there and subscribe to the Gary Cronin page. Appreciate all the support. Here is Cat. Enjoy. Cat, thank you so much for joining us today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast super super excited to have you on welcome
1: thank you so much for having me um you know we need to have a shout out to johnny collins who actually put us together and uh you know i i looked over your resume and who you are and i'm just uh honored that you are interviewing me today for your podcast
0: brilliant brilliant no i mean if we're, if we're gonna talk resumes uh mine against yours is a uh, is Premier League against the uh, pub league? I would say. So no, no. <laughs> I mean, your your story is is an amazing one, and and that was the challenge for me, where where I was putting these questions together. It's like, where do I start? What where do I go here, and and kind of dig in because there's so many massive, massive moments. One thing I wanted to ask you was this, and I hear it a lot today in youth soccer, and and probably have done it myself, uh, where coaches, you know, w- with such a Individualized environment and society we have today, coaches are currently constantly preaching to young players be part of something bigger than just your own journey. And at your early age, you chose to be part of something way, way bigger that seemed to coincide with when you were a player. So bringing the game to Iran, helping the growth of our lives, changing the world. Was there a specific moment that you visualized this? That you sat back and said, the direction that I want to take it? Or was it more of a one step at a time that you were were knocking these challenges out?
1: Well, definitely it was very unexpected. Uh, My trajectory at the time I was 17 was get a scholarship, go play in college and make the most out of it. And, um, you know, train hard to, you know, either get on the national team or in the league. That was, you know, the trajectory for most of the people my age at that time. But during the summer of 2005, I, uh, I had a mini vacation to go back to Iran. Actually, it was my first time in Iran. And I wanted to spend time with some of my family members before senior year of high school, where I knew that I probably wouldn't have the chance to ever go back, um, given my, my crazy schedule. But I quickly realized that, you know, women's soccer was not in Iran I couldn't find a place, a gym or a team that I could train with. All they had was indoor football or five-a-side futsal and that's where I started training and I saw the I saw the, the women there they were so passionate. They loved they loved to play soccer but there was no soccer there. And I just, you know, it was very quickly I had some, you know, little light bulbs popping up and I'm like, "Why what can I do to actually, you know, begin this or help them?" And that's where my story on story honestly started. It was more of just seeing what was not available and what was not there. But on the other side was, you know, the women um, so interested, very technical. They, they had a good head on their shoulder when it came to the soccer and um, they 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 watched soccer religiously. They knew every team, every player, every coach's philosophy. And I actually didn't get that experience from the U.S. side. So it, it was actually very different. And I'm like, I have to stay and do something about this.
0: I'm fascinated by this this curiosity. Like, w- when you put it like that, it sounds so simple. But, I mean, I, I left... I remember when I, when I came over here at 18 and, and changing the world was the furthest thing from my mind. A quote that I seen from you and just doing some research here, you said, I always did the hardest things. I chose to study chemical engineering. I played field hockey, track and field football, and at the same time, also learning piano. And I did everything that I loved and on the best level. So combining that with that, then that vision, uh, that you wanted to do and when you saw something and you said right let's do this here w- where did that mindset come from? It,
1: it, it is definitely learnable I think family attributes had a huge uh, part of this mindset but I had a lot of interests growing up and you know my family exposed me to so many different um, sports, mu- uh, musicians, games, uh, you know arts and I honestly liked it I, I I was enjoying going to the museums I was enjoying going to concerts that were predominantly classical and I was enjoying you know the, pushing myself and learning new sports but I didn't think that I was going to continue in them but then I realized that you know I, I if I do it I feel a lot happier and I'm more content whenever I do have uh, the things I love surrounding me but This doesn't go to say that, like, my family didn't have a huge part in it. They actually did. My family is um, a Middle Eastern Iranian family, very competitive, and they're always pushing their Um, their kids to the next level. So honestly, it was a matter of me picking and choosing the things that interested me. And, um, you know, my, my father, for example, would make sure to find me the best coach or the best teacher so I could, you know, continue in that path. But I didn't think that I was able to, you know, handle and manage all of these sports and all of these extracurricular activities, but I loved it and I wanted to do it. And like I said, it was at the best level for me. I couldn't stay content at just staying at um, you know, doing it for fun. I wanted to compete in them and I wanted to see if I could um, or if I could manage to do something different or just make a difference in that in that area. But, uh, you know, the mindset did come from a very young age. I was exposed very early on to just, um, you know, find the things that I love, stick with it and go for it.
0: I've got a five year old that's now been introduced to sport and less guitar lessons and all these things to keep basically keeping busy uh, but but we're thinking like right as parents, we're looking at saying all right well you develop this uh, curiosity, you also then develop this search for for not perfection but like to be good, and that's a real what what we're struggling with or where we're looking for is like how do you then show them that what other people how do you help other people because sometimes soccer is like so competitive that it's about what you're doing sometimes piano was about yourself so where did this vision then meet uh I can again big picture I can help other people I can make things better I you know where do you remember that
1: I actually do remember um in my teens that uh, I was I was seeing a lot of my friends come out of soccer and just come out of everything that they were doing as a child. And I realized that, you know, the way parents present these new activities is very important. My father never pushed on soccer to me, never made me do anything. He introduced it to me and that's where my interest started, you know, brewing. And I wanted to know more about it. I wanted, I kept asking questions and I mean, whenever he saw that I had all this interest in it, that's whenever he actually um, started putting me in, in the classes and started coaching me and training me. But it's it's all about, you know, not being pushed <laughs> to do it more of like being introduced and then seeing if that that child is interested to f- take it further. Um, I, I I don't know if I answered that question correctly, because that's a very, it's a very good question, but it really does have to do with the psychology of the child. But I just know that if I was ever to be pushed into doing something I didn't enjoy doing, there was no way I could perform at the highest level. There's no way that I would have continued doing it. Um, but fortunately, the, the places and the, the sports and activities that I got introduced to, I was not pushed into it. I was not forced into it. And it was more of a mutual, mutual feeling between me and that activity.
0: You mentioned there about the culture, about actually really interesting that there was, there might have been more soccer culture in Iran, even though there weren't opportunities. But I think in the U.S. and definitely like since my time here now, you, soccer is so mainstream and it wasn't always the case. But whenever, like I would say that the one of the biggest things the U.S. has done an unbelievable job of is this participation and, and com- competition at a young age group. So when you were going to Iran and then you're saying like, all right, I'm going to put those places or pieces into place, put structures in, put leagues in, get more mass participation. How did you go about that?
1: I will say the the U.S. soccer system and its structure for development of youth soccer is so good. Uh, starting competition at a young age, having all these leagues and all these coaches get involved, I think that's what makes U.S. soccer extremely strong uh, compared to other countries in the world. But Iran had more passion. I would see these young, talented boys and girls, you know, always wanting to just play in the park. They they would. I'm not kidding. The country cancels work uh, so you can go home and watch your teams play. And uh, just to see that, you know, culture, uh, that soccer, football culture there was, you know, it it really striked me because I'm like in the U.S., people don't know the teams in the Premier League. They don't know the teams in Asia. They don't they don't have uh, much awareness about it. But they're really good at soccer from a strength and conditioning like. Uh, way but not in the the passion way of not knowing you know oh i have to watch my my chelsea versus man you i have to watch you know the iran derby purse police and Esteghlal, or like even the korean derby like they don't know um they don't they don't have that interest or they just don't know about it whereas in iran it's a, there's a lot more passion that goes into it there's a lot more rivalry a lot more competition and and to be honest is the technique that i feel like the iran but specifically asia has it's a lot stronger than the technique that i've seen in the u.s u.s very good at strength and conditioning running like they will bulldoze you over but in the in on the asian side like the technique is what's going to beat them
0: oh now we're getting into the into the nitty-gritty here A development is that because of uh, I know there'll be a lot of there's a lot of coaches that listen to us in the U.S. and a lot of them are are disgruntled that, yeah, we favor the physical more than we do the technical tactical. Do you think that's down to more structure at the young age? Is that almost like does our strength become our weakness over here?
1: Uh, I mean, now that I'm back in the U.S. for a couple of years, I, w- I will say yes to this, just from my experience of living um, abroad for 15 years and then coming back. Uh, you know, I, I am, I'm very happy that I was also in that system from a very young age. I was five when I started soccer, but it was, it was purely, let me put it this way. I knew more about fitness and conditioning than I knew about the tactics. I didn't know what the four and five were supposed to do in certain situations. I didn't know that uh, the six would have to, you know, shift left or shift right in various situations. You don't learn that here. And that was, you know, what I was actually struggling with back when I was, um, playing in in asia or in in iran was that there they they really get into the nitty-gritty of um your 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 what you're supposed to do on the field and how you're supposed to do it and give you options. Whereas in the US, it's like run 90 minutes, make sure you're sprinting uh, every second of the time and make sure that you know you are able to you know, use your arms and you know push, shield people. No, it's about shifting, it's about moving back, it's about sliding, it's about keeping your head up. It's about you know communication on and off the ball. And and that's where um, I was struggling for a couple of years. But fortunately, I had great coaches that were able to to catch me up uh, with those theories.
0: I uh, couldn't couldn't believe this here when I read it. Uh, the, the woman's participation in Iran expanded from from 40 to 2 million people or, or women that were competing. Like That's a massive participation jump. Uh, where were you mentioned about the technical ability of the players? Uh, with with participation improving and, and organized games improving, uh, what kicked up? And has the physical level kicked up? Has competition kicked up? Where have you seen the biggest strides over the last 10 years in Iran?
1: All right. So the, the 40 was because, well, how it started with 40 was that there were 40 um, players that found out that, the national team is starting. So all 40 players came to try out for the national team. So over the years, that's how you know it grew exponentially. And this is with futsal and football soccer. And, uh, you know, right now you're seeing that there, there's, you know, you have the premier women's league in Iran, but you also have the second league as well. And uh, you are seeing a good transition into, into a good, technical style of soccer yes there are weight room days yes they are going to have conditioning days but the coaches predominantly want to focus on the technique and the tactics of the team and individuals but this is um you know I have I have been seeing improvements, but not fast enough. And this is because in Iran, it's like one day they are allowed to play fo- soccer and one day they're not allowed to play soccer or it's just completely omitted off the calendar as far as uh, the, um, the scheduling goes. But this is why we're lagging lacking for the past 10, 15 years. It's just that we haven't been able to um, have, you know, the, the grassroots soccer there. So you just kind of have, um, you know, senior team league not you know you don't have a league that's uh, that's helping develop the youth and this is why it goes on and off a lot and this is why the senior team players are having a difficult time reading a game reading um you know h- how to analyze you know their their opponents but i'm hoping that in the next couple of years we have uh you know youth structure so that will definitely help with the education side for for the senior team
0: interesting so say there's a Someone has a daughter who's 12 years of age, loves the game, passionate about it, loves playing it. What opportunities typically are there for that player? to kind of, What's their pathway to, to become a senior player?
1: Um, so typically uh, what's actually a lot more comfortable uh, is playing futsal first. Whenever uh, she plays futsal, then she gets noticed um, by coaches, word of mouth and all of that. And then she gets invited to the youth national team. When she gets invited to the youth national team, there's so many camps that she's actually um, developing all her skills at national team camp. Then they go to a tournament, come back home, and then she goes back to futsal. It's not the it's not the best way, but right now, it's the current only way for her to continue um, finding interest in the game. Um, I, I wish it wasn't like this, where they would switch continually between futsal and football. Um, and this is why i 'm saying it 's so important that uh the Asian countries, especially Iran, start the youth uh, league like the u s because u s is so good at that they have leagues at different levels, and you know the girls are always participating in in games they 're learning they 're training, and that 's why they're they're beating a lot of the competition out the water
0: this futsal angle is is really interesting because you you mentioned the, the kind of different types of technique and Obviously then if to go against to go into the weaknesses of our system over here the u s as as much as our structures or organizations, then yeah the physical part that you led to is is probably emphasized too much over the technical ability, and we kind of jump steps technically because the physical is probably stressed so with the focus on futsal at a young age, does that create a different you know doesn't a a player from Iran at that national teams higher level do, do they solve space where do they foot where does futsal where do you see the futsal element i suppose jump out of the
1: well i mean it's currently the the iran national futsal team they're back to back asian champions mm-hmm. so when these girls start you know playing that sport either futsal or football they see that you know their heroes are you know champions they actually want to stick with the futsal side the football element, a futsal element but not even deep down <laughs> if the football structure was as important as um, as structured as relevant within the society as far as making sure that there's good sponsors there's enough um, there's enough fields there's enough coaches enough players then for sure hands down everybody would make that switch over to football It's just that futsal is there it's readily available um, the system has been set in stone and there's nothing that will will stop or hinder it whereas in football. It's a very political sport in Iran, and um, especially with like the, the women's side, they have to wear the Islamic veil, um, Islamic hijab and all of that. Uh, it's, it's a lot more difficult to get involved in it. But futsal is just easier. It's more um, convenient. And that's why people tend to, you know, kind of sway in there because the structure is so perfect at the moment. And uh, you're just creating a lot of good players. But if you talk to them and you ask those players what their goal is and dream is, they all want to play football. They all want to get on the grass.
0: Yeah, let's let's go down the political challenges now, which is, I, like, this this story blew my mind. Uh, I told my wife about it last night. and the, She has no interest in soccer, and she just couldn't. She was questioning my research and being like, you've got your dates wrong there. That's way, way too, like, it must have been 30, 40 years ago. But I'll just give it a quick... 2011 second round of an Olympic qualification a FIFA representative told you and the team that you were disqualified due to the hijabs that you were wearing three years later FIFA changed the rule due to the work that you did allowed head coverings for religious reasons for the Iranian and Muslim players like three years first of all I I can't believe that happened in 2011 but for you to I know FIFA is a difficult, difficult organization to 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 promote any form of change we 've seen that with uh, a number of things over the last few years. How difficult like how, can you talk us through that that whole movement and and, and your role in it
1: well, I just don't want to create any enemies, so i 'll be uh, as diplomatic as possible for this one. but it was so embarrassing. Imagine um, women 's soccer in Iran started in two thousand and five. We were the first country where the entire team had to wear the hijab. It was my first time wearing a hijab. I had no idea what it even was, but you know, whenever you're on the field playing, you know, you're not really paying attention to what you're wearing or what's around your neck. Like maybe during halftime, you get a little annoyed, but it's, it's, you know, it's the perseverance. You're not, you're going to look past that because if this is the only way that I can help a country play soccer, I'll do it. It's better than not playing. Um, so 2005 women's soccer starts in Iran, then uh, slowly you see all the the entire region of the Middle East and like Asian countries that, you know, women are that wear the hijab or choose to wear the hijab. They want to also play soccer and they they can play now because they see the Iran national team playing and they're going into Asian games or playing in Europe. They're playing, um, you know, across the board. So they're like, OK, this is actually a, this is fine that we can do this. 2011 we are on a a really good track of making it to the Olympics because our opponents are teams that we have beaten before and we've been in camp for two years I was traveling from the UK to Iran almost every other week just so I could be at camp and mind you I was doing my master's not easy um so we we knew that we were going to make it to the next round we knew that we were going to have a good shot at making it to the Olympics Mind you, Sepp Blatter was like the former president was like. Wait, if women's soccer wants to get more sponsors, wants to get more famous globally, wants to attract the attention, maybe women should wear shorter shorts and tighter shirts. So here comes the Iran national team wearing longer pants, long sleeve baggy clothes, hijab. So we totally, you know, ruined his idea of getting fame <laughs> towards women's soccer, but. So what? you know, this is the rule of the country. Um, the fact that we can play is huge and we've done it. We've already jumped the internal hurdles of the country as far as women not being allowed to play. Now on a global scale, you don't want us to play. Like we're we, we have we, we're fighting in our, domestically and internationally. It just didn't make sense. So yeah, imagine um, a few minutes before the, the whistle that would start the game. The official comes into the locker room and says that we have to forfeit or or we have to take off the hijab. So imagine you're coming from an Islamic country where the rule and the regulation is that women do not don't take off your hijab. Otherwise, you know, you can never play again or FIFA comes and stops you. So what do you do? It's a double edged sword at this case. So we have to forfeit against a team that we we were trained very well to beat. And uh, it took a couple years. Honestly, it took a couple of years, but we found really good allies, um, especially the the Prince of Jordan was a great ally. We had a lot of women all over the world um, from not just the, the Muslim community, but from all communities that want to see women persevere in this sport because they know how difficult it was for us to push those boundaries within Iran to play soccer. But now why are we being slapped in the hand internationally to not play? Um, I, I'm actually very, uh, I'm very happy that it took that time because in that time we were able to train more. So by the time we made it back into the international field or international tournaments, we were just kicking butt and taking names.
0: <laughs> we'll take a quick break here. Coaches, we had our Cyber Monday sale yesterday where we gave out a free copy of my new ebook 25 positional training exercises for forwards with the purchase of a Modern Soccer Coach Pressing or a Modern Soccer Coach 433 book. The offer has closed, but for podcast listeners, I'm going to do a special. If you order a copy of the Pressing or the 433 books, just shoot me an email. Let me know, gary at modernsoccercoach.com, and I will send you a free copy of the ebook, The Positional Training Exercises for the Forwards. So if you buy a four three three book or a pressing book on the website slash shop shoot me an email Gary at modernsoccercoach.com. I'll send you a free copy. slash shop Really appreciate the support it allows us to keep content like this coming. Thank you. I'm fascinated by this this change, like getting changed through FIFA. Was that you mentioned there about the the. The Jordan, the allies that you created, how did you do that? Was that like, what was the vehicle, the biggest vehicle to it? Was it, was it uh, connecting with people? Was it putting it out in the media to get more support or was it constant meetings or like how did you experience
1: in, that? It constant meetings, constant campaigns. Um, you know, we had a, a large Facebook group and um, you know, I was very active on social media and not just me, but a lot of, a lot of the women that it actually affected because it was not just Iranian women. I mean, mind you, they, they made an entire national team to disqual- like not play. Whereas in like other teams, there were a couple hijab wearing players. So those two or three couldn't play, but not the entire team. So it was embarrassing in countries that, you know, even though politically they're not, they don't stand with Iran, they supported us a lot. And I realized that sports and speci- speci- specifically women's soccer is a huge diplomatic tool. And, you know, I I took it and I ran with it because it's not fair for my teammates and I to not be able to play in international tournaments because of a a cloth on our head. So what? You know, if this is um, if this is uh, the way for us to play within the country and it's acceptable and we finally, you know, jump those hurdles. Let us, you know, continue it, and maybe we'll, we'll we'll find more ways to change it and to make it easier for us to play in the future. But don't just stop us, right? You know, altogether. And um, yeah, I'm very happy with the support we got, and uh, I was very surprised by the the number of people and the groups of people and um, groups and organizations that you know I never thought in a million years that they would support us.
0: Did you ever manage to sit in a room with Mister Blatter and and kind of put your thoughts and Across and almost hit him on the head with all of this.
1: Um, I've written him letters. I wrote him letters. I know that they were received and read by him. Uh, there were a lot of his officials and advisors were also um, friends of mine, and they they told him my story as an American Iranian that I'm there to you know help change the country as far as women's soccer goes, and he just put a big roadblock on on that success and on that path.
0: In society today, you would you would. Hope to believe, you know, as a student of the game, or even as a as a passionate follower of the game, that FIFA is dedicated to to doing what they say they're going to do. But it it just must have been so frustrating to have to live that uh, and and to experience that there.
1: I mean, the FIFA definitely forgot its commitments to the global game. It's football for all, and you know, I know. I I mean, Iran's situation is not easy uh when it comes to politics and the religion and the ideology but the thing is is that women started playing soccer they didn't play for 40 years imagine after the islamic revolution there was none until 2005 and that's a huge milestone and you know we were educating the public we were talking um almost uh, daily to various representatives of the government to let us play this is something we love and you know football is in our dna we have to play um you know we if we're if we're not playing we're talking about playing or we're watching or we're analyzing so it was only natural for us to begin that process and you know fifa didn't stick with his commitments to us on that we were, you know, it was, it was a very unfair treatment, especially by not letting us be on the field for a few years, but I hope they learned a lesson. I hope, you know, they have now more uh, culture within FIFA to explain these types of um, countries and their rules and laws and ideologies. And I'm hoping that that will never tap into another country.
0: When you mentioned there about using that time to train and get better, those training camps, uh, how did you kind of structure around those or how were they structured when maybe, you know, competition and match fitness were would have been difficult to try and get? Uh, how did you work around that?
1: So fortunately, I mean, FIFA didn't allow us to go towards, like, you know, Olympic trainings or um, the World Cup uh, qualifications, but Asia, with, with the Asian Football Confederation or AFC, we were still allowed to participate in those tournaments. Because it was acceptable for, you know, countries and players to play with hijab. So we continued that path. We we started training um for for those tournaments, for those games, for those qualifications. And you know, you're still playing with very good teams like Vietnam, Myanmar, Thailand, Philippines. But uh it, it took a it took a moment uh to to you know sow the the broken heart again. And uh finding a good coach was also very difficult because coaches weren't willing to come. Uh, to train a team that can only stay within the Asia, within the AFC. They wanted to come in, coach a team and take them to the next level. But uh, like I said, it it wasn't long before we were able to find a very good, solid coach. And then at the same time, we were coaching other women uh, to become future coaches for the country. And uh, I think it was during that time where the under 14, under 16 and under 19 national teams were being developed and also uh, getting prepared to compete at very high levels. So it, it was a good uh, little uh, time to help reform the federation on the women's side and to to prepare them uh, mentally and physically for for future tournaments.
0: But obviously with society and and, and all the roadblocks you had through that there, were there any other challenges internally inside Iran with facilities and getting access to pitches and and all those other things?
1: Oh my God, where do I begin with this one? Um, You know, I'll never forget, I had to argue for three hours with a guy, with a man who wouldn't allow us to enter the field. And, you know, I tried every tactic in the book to get this guy convinced to let us play. He wasn't like, he's like, you women don't know how to play. You're going to come and ruin the field. Everyone's going to come here. The police is going to come this, that, like he was just not easy to deal with. And I remember uh, I was with a few of my, my friends and we're like, you know what? We're just going to play outside of the gate. And um, you know, we'll just train right here. We started playing. Um, in a very small area and then I'm not kidding within like 10 to 15 minutes over 40 people were surrounding us they're like you know they're cheering us on they're yelling at the the gatekeeper to let us in the field and then eventually after all that pressure from you know the public he finally let us in but this is you know this is this goes to say that it doesn't this does not everyone that doesn't support us I mean they do you do have your pockets of people who love to uh, see women progress, especially in sports, and then you have people who are against it. But uh, I I don't see it as a challenge. I just see it as I have to educate these people. Um, I, I, Fortunately in Iran, there's been a good uh, momentum for women's soccer and uh, we're always invited to uh, TV stations or radio stations. We're always talking and promoting women's sports and educating the, the public that it's okay women to play it's actually very good and healthy for society to let us play and you know I've seen a lot of doors now opening for us.
0: Very very powerful quote that I, I read from you the the football pitch is more than diameters the width and the, it's where you have built learn attributes about being professional how to stand out from the crowd how to be a leader it gives you all elements of life and I'm here to master it I mean it's put that up on the wall there, like that's that's what the game should be about and that's where it should be about growing people and growing players and all this stuff we want it to be about. But when you're when you're trying to get that mindset across to a society where they're they're probably limited in their self image, what they can become through this game, how did you do that with young players? Like how did you how did you teach them? Was it through psychology? Was it through meetings? Was it through bringing outside specialists in or inside the walls of those training camps? When you're looking at not only improving players but also you know lifting the mindset uh, and and taking ceilings and breaking walls, knocking walls down. How did how did that experience work?
1: This is um, probably. I mean, this this quote. Whenever I said it. Um, it was right after one of the Asian games and I realized what had happened as far as us advancing to the next round. And what I wanted to create, what, it wasn't a family, but it was a very strong bond because the life and the mental state of these girls were in my hands. How am I going to make the best out of it? How am I going to create such a strong um bond and life and uh, becoming a really good role model for these girls, how am I going to do it? Because 24 seven, they're with me. I have them for you know most of the year, they're away from their parents, but I need to make sure that I am leading by example. I, make, I have to make sure that I'm giving them all the elements needed to be a strong woman in the future. And I did have a lot of help. I made sure I got great psychologists. I had several group meetings, individual meetings, not just about the game, but also about themselves as a person. What is it that they fear? What is it that they don't fear? How are we gonna help them make it to the next level? Whether it's they wanna continue in football or wanna continue um, starting a side business. So I, I mean, I myself, I, I'm a businesswoman and I'm an entrepreneur. But you know, at my core is what football or soccer taught me almost everything: how to deal with people, how to delegate, how to always keep my head up even after very difficult times. And I needed to make sure I could teach these very strong um, life lessons to my players because their their life is in my hands, and I cannot let them down. So it was a huge responsibility, and I still carry that responsibility. Even if I'm not the head coach right now, the national team, I have weekly meetings with a lot of the players that I did coach from before. I can't give up on them. And, um, you know, it's to find and pick the right help is also very important. You have to make sure you're getting people that you can trust uh, to also instill these um, these thoughts in these, in these kids that are growing up. And, and as far as the thoughts that I'm talking about, it's making sure that they have a safe place they have they can be themselves and we're able to help them structure who they want to be by giving them all the right tools
0: hmm. fantastic uh, yeah uh, going back to the the u.s culture and again where i've got uh, now a young a young kid that's going into youth sports at a, at a really recreational level but some of the things that i'm experiencing and picking up on is like little messaging that <laughs> it's a bit corny but like there's a message by my, my three-year-old goes to a little soccer tots and there's a word every day and it's if it's confidence or belief or ownership and i I think it's really really good just to tie the game to just something a little bit more something a bit more character driven were there any aspects of the game in america or this or or the again sports outside the structure was there anything in the culture over here that that you wanted to take into the iran setup and, and try to try to help the players there
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I think American sports by itself, it, it is the best in the world. The, the way we um, are grown to believe that uh, we are the best because we train with the best, it's, it's a huge uh, parameter for how I was developing myself. And it's like, the, these corny quotes, like you said, like, go big or go home. And, you know, you got to stay tough. You know, all of these, they, they They make sense later on in life because, you know, whenever you are, um, you know, you're growing up in the U.S., it's all about taking those daily steps to be better. Those daily steps of like, even if you fail, get back up and start training again. Whereas in Asia, if you fail, you it's very difficult for players to get back up because they're so hard on themselves. Whereas in the U.S. that you experience. They, the coaches expect you to make mistakes because mistakes are good. Mistakes are okay, that's where you learn from. There, that culture does not allow you to have mistakes. You are looked down upon and frowned upon for a very long time and it takes people forever to forget. Um, this is what I brought to my team for sure. I definitely told them that if you, guys mistakes, if you guys do mistakes, I'm happy with you. Let's talk about it, let's fix it, get back up and we're gonna try it one more time until you get it right. And until it becomes natural and fluid for you. So these were the, these were definite elements that I brought back with me to Iran. And I've seen a huge difference with my players now who are, you know, they were all under 19 a year ago and now they all are starting players for the senior national team. They're just a whole different breed.
0: Just in general, like the same way with the the situation with FIFA and and the disqualification and that movement, you still must have, Facing a, a lot of resistance to maybe not directly but indirectly to people with limitations on belief and again yeah, facilities and all like how do you i suppose i'm interested in like how you as a as a person and as a leader deal with that form of resistance and and uh, you know that that mental strength that it takes you to go almost again from setback to setback as the old cliche goes how do you how do you overcome all that
1: Another business tool that I got to use was negotiation. Um, my negotiation tactics honestly sharpened a lot when I was in Iran because I did get a lot of pushback from what I was trying to do. But also I had a lot of good allies. And I, I it's the perseverance. It's, it's, I, it's not even about not giving up, but culturally for me, they say that um, if a door closes there's always a window that is open. So go find that window. And I continually was um, getting the door shut on my face, but I was not giving up. I was always looking at, you know, a different angle of finding an open window and opening that I could go talk about um, these issues that I'm facing for someone to help me fix it. And um, to be honest, in Iran, the the only thing that, you know, still till today that is um, is 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 hindering the development is just the education side, especially to men, having men as our allies. That's one of the hardest parts. It's a its a country of 80 million soccer lovers, but some of them are living still in rural areas. And they don't believe women should be playing soccer, but it's not as bad as the other countries around the region. Um, and I think the, ed- the educational factor and having women show themselves playing soccer on TV is a very strong proponent to this fortunately you know we have social media where it does show clips of women's soccer and men are like oh i didn't know women play soccer or there's actually this good so it's the, the education key is instrumental in all of this in the development of women's soccer and i know it's a marathon not a sprint for this and it's just about being being able to keep walking forward being able to anyone that you talk to you can t- educate them about women's soccer and their passion and love for it and how you know iran has so many good qualities that if they do let women participate and if they do allow women to participate openly how much better will it be for the country so it's uh you know i, I have a diff- i have some different tugs and uh pools on this one but you know, we're getting there I, i've seen so much change in the past 15 years and I'm so fortunate to be a part of that change and, you know, there's so much more work to do.
0: That belief on, you know, that you're that you're working on people and individuals, to, you know, you mentioned there about that group that's now in the, in the first team. Has the play also then evolved to where the team is now almost getting a bit higher up the pitch or almost being a bit more braver in possession? Have you seen little changes uh, as they've grown in their game as well?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, when I was being coached, I I had a Vera Powell, I think yeah. Everybody knows. Yeah, she was one of the one of my main mentors. And she just kept telling me, Rondo, 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 you're gonna learn everything on the field. Like forget the gym, forget all that, just stick everything on the field, you'll learn it from there. And I took her advice and I saw that confidence of my players gradually growing whenever we were able to do these very difficult rondos and on the field, I we always had like a little nickname for it whenever we would keep possession. So I would scream that on the field and then they all would like have have a, like a little slight laugh, but they kept possession. They knew how to move up, when to move up. And their confidence was just glowing on the field, playing against very tough teams like Korea and Australia and Japan. And, you know, we we didn't have that fear anymore playing against these top teams because we knew how to play. We had prepared. We knew what we were doing and the confidence was gaining every pass at a time. So
0: tough question. You know, we talked about the strengths of the U S system. And again, a lot of coaches, uh, listening that, that work over here. Where do you think, you know, seeing from such a, such a powerful perspective on, on the world, on the global game, what, what changes should we make? Do we need to make, are we, are we, uh, what challenges do we have over here?
1: Well, I, I hope I don't make any, any of, my enemies out of this <laughs> one, but, um, I didn't know how influential and impactful helicopter parents can be. It's um, it was honestly a disheartening uh, experience for me when I first came to the U.S. and I was coaching um, in Seattle with OL Raiden Academy, and to see the parents' negative impacts on the team and players was honestly um, shocking. And I ne- I did not I was not ready to deal with that. I heard about it, but I didn't know it was going to be to that extent of. Destroying the vibe of the team and all this mechanism that you know you're creating as a coach by you know having a parent that will you know argue with her daughter while I'm training them or argue with another parent in front of I'm like we're a family we're supposed to be supportive of each other why are you getting involved with this and then you know you see parents trying to um, you know take the coaches out for dinner or like I don't know let's go on vacation like this is not right at all like do not give yourself permission to do that parents let your child grow within that team trust the coach watch observe I'm not saying completely disappear but don't get emotionally involved because your daughter is not going to be able to find those tools later on in life to be to be able to stand up for herself to be able to fend for herself to be able to train and love and enjoy the game Um, This is one element that I saw and I'm still in shock till today about this um, helicopter parent, uh, you know, mechanism that I I found in the US and only in the US.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. If I got a dollar for every conversation with someone about this, I'd be a a very wealthy person. Do you think it relates back to what you were saying before? Or or is there lessons in, you know, having to play competitive level, do track and field? do piano all at a high level each requires levels of setback and you mentioned your father who didn't push you in who just allowed you to feel and allowed you to experience and and I have a similar upbringing like I would say the majority of my soccer playing childhood soccer was was getting beat and getting smashed by other teams but I love the game and I still watch it for fun today and I view that as like the greatest gift my father gave me was like just this love of the game. Do you think we're too outcome focused to where now it's at sports because we pay a service fee over here, we almost want a return on that there either by scholarship or experience? Yeah,
1: pay, pay to play. Um, this is a concept that I, I didn't know uh, growing up. I only found out about it when I came back. And this is the big difference of uh, you know Asia and the US. In Asia, they don't pay to play. They don't have money to do that. But, you know, you you do have great sponsors and the government and FIFA, you know, put a good amount of budget aside for these developing countries to come and play. So they play with passion. They play with heart. They play because they really want to. And their parents are working, trying to make a living and make sure that food is on the table. Whereas in the U.S., it's like, give me the scholarships. I'm making sure that my child is going to get there. And, you know, it's a... They they will literally you know strangle their daughter and or their player into like making sure that they do everything that they say they're going to do and it's not fair. Where is that do- where is that girl going to find love for the game later on? If she makes a mistake, she's gonna be too afraid to tell her parents. If something happens, she's gonna be too frightened to say anything. How are you gonna get the advice to you know figure out what to do and fend for yourself later on? Um, this is you know one thing that growing up in the U.S. my dad. Would never give me any criticism or any advice until I told him or asked him to do so, and that is where I was able to learn about my faults and where I needed to work on, and also my the good things that I had in that game. I think parents here are very difficult, on hard on their play, on their on their child who's playing. They need to understand that playing the sport is a privilege. Playing the sport it, cre- it needs a lot of passion and love, and if you want to do it right, let your child be free from all of these uh nonsense let them be free let them enjoy the game let them learn to love the game
0: fantastic yeah 100% agree with you we'll we'll turn the turn the the, the final questions towards yourself um and but before I do I want to ask you Johnny was telling me about the work you did uh with the Afghan players to to free them with the with the recent Taliban. I mean, again, an unbelievable story. Uh, oh, I don't know what right. you can. Tell. I hope
1: your viewers are are ready for this one. Let me just tell you kind of how it started, and wh- who am I to even be connected with anyone from Afghanistan? So, a couple years ago, when I was the head coach of the under nineteen national women's team for Iran, we had a tournament in Uzbekistan. And when I was analyzing one of the opponents, a girl was next to me and she spoke perfect English. And I saw that she was wearing an Afghan uh, jersey. I'm like, oh, you, you, are you a player? And she's like, yeah, I'm a player. I'm like, well, your English is perfect. And she's like, yeah, I'm Canadian, Afghan, playing for the Afghan national team. So we became friends and, uh, you know, every now and then I would always connect with her to see how she's doing. And, you know, over the past year, I've always heard these horrible, heartbreaking news coming out of Afghanistan. So I always checked up on her. August, when the insurrection happened, I called her immediately. I'm like, Farhunda, what can we do? How can I help you? And she's like, the Federation just contacted me and they need help now to get the players out because the players are under um, scrutiny. They've been uh, threatened by the Taliban that they're going to be killed first because they were change makers or they were, you know, they're, they're playing soccer and just being women. How can we get them out? And, you know, I've never done an operation like that. I'm an engineer doing my master- another master's. Um, who, who am I? Like I was, I took the challenge. Her and I started working together on the operation. Uh, we began uh, finding all the players, their information like passport, uh, birth certificate codes, how many people are in their family, um, how, every information we can get from them we got. And then it got to a point where we had to find out how to rescue them, how to get them out. So I connected them to um, I connected to my sister, fortunately, and my sister had a great contact um her name is Christine Haas and she runs a PR firm and she is um the head of PR currently for this uh comp- or this uh, NGO called Deliver Fund based out of Dallas and they combat human trafficking and they also deal with rescue missions what better than that this this group of people from Deliver Fund and us we started working on this operation Um, It took about a month, but I'm not kidding when I tell you that every day my heart was breaking a little bit more because we were getting so close. We had five attempts to free the girls, get them out. All five, something crazy was happening. And until, you know, September 19th, the day of my birthday, we get news that the girls can come out, and they now they're in Portugal. But it was a one-month operation, so many ups and downs, and all we could do was just trust the process and pray as much as possible. And you know, but we knew we we gave this operation to the right people. We knew that we were um, well on our way, and we were going to do the impossible, which was you know free the the youth national team. It couldn't have been possible without, honestly, this amazing group of people who are talented and they just love women's soccer. And it's not for the fame of doing this. They just wanted to get the job done so these girls have another chance at playing uh, soccer.
0: That's amazing. We, uh, Nadia Nadim was was playing with us here in, in Louisville. And every morning in the cafeteria, you, you it was on the TV and the news, and it was my heart was like, you know, you're just sitting there and... and Every, I mean, for a week almost, we were we had pictures of the airport. Right, the airport was almost under siege. That must have been so difficult to work through.
1: Listen, it it, it was it was it was difficult, but we that was the reality for them, and we couldn't dissociate ourselves from that. We had to put ourselves in their shoes too. Um, I think in that month, on average, we were sleeping an hour a day because we had to make sure that the girls were safe. We had to. We were communicating with them twenty four seven. Video calls, voice messages, chatting. Just making sure that they are safe and they're okay. Um, and you know, we had a lot of recordings of what was happening. Um, you know, right next to them, which was just heartbreaking. But I'm so happy that these girls are out They're right now in Portugal. And the girl that I, that I knew, Farhunda, um, she was um, she captained a few games. She actually moved now to Portugal to live with them and to help them um, establish a good life for themselves in Portugal mm-hmm. and to make sure that they get their education, to make sure that they can still play and just settle, settle into a new life, a new safe life.
0: Fantastic, fantastic! Yeah, is that is that the plan? Is it to keep them all together over there and and keep that group together? Yeah.
1: Or? Yes, the hope is to keep them there. And um, we, th- I know that Deliver Fund is still working on more missions to get more players out. But uh, you know, what better than Portugal, the home of Cristiano, home of, of football in Europe, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly, yeah, exactly. I, I
1: think they're in good hands. I think they're in good hands.
0: We're we're coming to the end. I mean. You, what, an, what an amazing story the, the, the work that you've done and, and again in your own personal journey as well in coaching and playing how do you or what are your personal sources of inspiration like how, when when you do get when the battery goes a little bit low and, and you do get a bit disheartened perhaps with, with the people and the politics in the game how do you get that how do you get that fire back
1: oh I mean I just I, I like to remember and recall moments um, milestones of uh, my my time in iran and also as my time learning to become a coach i it, it was hard it was very hard and you know you can't just put that to the side that's those, those moments are what define you and make you because either you come out of it successful or you don't come out of it successful so i always remember you know all that hard work you know having these um all these players look up to you and needing you to train them, to teach them, to help them, to hold their hand and make them um, believe that there is, that they they do have a chance uh, to become successful as well. And I, it's not just the Iran players. Honestly, I'm looking at it on a global scale. There's so many girls and women that are talented, that are not seen. There are so many groups that just need to have, um, to be connected with the rest of the world. And Johnny and I are actually trying to work on that um process to you know coach these uh, coach coaches to begin these teams I and mean, we want to be able to help finance that to get more players um in, in rural areas or developing countries on the field and start playing and getting adequate training to, so they can play at high levels as well but that's you know that's what keeps me up at night knowing that there is a girl in cambodia um, living in horrible conditions but too afraid and doesn't have any money to do what she loves and i have to be able to to find her and to help her play
0: is that the next kind of evolution towards this this generation of almost that 04 the, the first generation from the the Iranian players that are start playing is it now to to grow now people into the game coaches oh, my god. oh yeah.
1: my god yeah i mean right now the senior team is just doing uh phenomenal and they're doing phenomenal with the youth players at the moment so Uh, I've also seen the under 16 and under 14 and those two teams as well. Like these girls have been playing for a very long time and, you know, soccer is ingrained in their brain. They are so hungry to learn. They are so eager to be able to, you know, start competing at high levels. And they're tired of staying in that same position in the FIFA ranking. They want to make it up. They want to go to the World Cup. They want to make it to the Olympics. They, they just want to be those change makers now. Um, not for Iran specifically, but for the region. And uh, it's important. It's a very important uh, situation to have. And they do bear the responsibility to make it out as soon as possible to make it out as far as uh, make it up to to higher ranking levels in FIFA.
0: Last question. And and to finish where we almost started with this bigger than yourself question. And I know a lot of young coaches over here that probably read that, like do do what I did. You you wake up in the morning, you think you have 20 problems and then you, you do some research to your journey and you realize that then actually none of them are a problem (laughs) and you've been uh, the most comfortable lifestyle that, that you're privileged part of what advice would you have for young coaches who are listening to this and, and thinking you know whose minds have been open like minds have to be you know there's more I could do maybe it's not just enough to be an X's and O's coach maybe it's to help people maybe it's to go outside the country uh, what what are some ways that coaches can almost open their open their minds to that?
1: It might not be everyone's cup of tea to uh, to do what you know I'm doing uh, as far as an international level but make sure you are giving good, adequate training to your team, to your players, give them the attention they need. Uh, individual meetings and um, technical meetings with your team is always uh, necessary. Don't just leave it for after training, always stay in touch with them and know that there's so many, if, if, and if you do want to go on an international scale, there are so many wonderful opportunities to, to travel abroad and start coaching, um, be like a guest coach in various countries around the world. And you know, if they, connect with me and I'll definitely connect you with a hundred people that do need your help and do need your expertise um, and your knowledge when it comes to, to soccer and developing soccer within uh, developing countries. And uh, just make sure you are paying attention to your players make sure you are paying attention to your team make sure that you are giving them the best that you can give them and always train and educate yourselves with new information because soccer is always uh, evolving it's um it's always changing and make sure your team is watching soccer that's the one thing that i've also noticed in the US they don't watch enough of it um you know whether you are going to have to subscribe or whatever it is just Watch as much as you can. That's where you're going to learn real football.
0: Fantastic. Kat, I can't thank you enough. Uh, this has been, uh, someone for someone so busy to to give up an hour of their time, this has been one of the most powerful interviews uh, I've definitely, definitely had and I can't wait to get this out to the coaches. So thanks for, for jumping on, but also thank you for all the work you've done around the world and, and will continue to do so. And if I can help in any way, please, please let me know.
1: Oh, for sure. You, uh, this was a great interview. Your questions were outstanding. I I, I don't think anyone's asked, asked me these types of questions. Um, job well done. And it's like I said from the beginning, it's an honor to speak with you, Gary. Uh, you are uh, an inspiration to many people and you're coaching a very good team at the moment.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.